I'm Andrew Sherman. I'm a Texas transplant who has always been in pursuit of art as a career. I've played in bands, pursued an acting career in Hollywood, but I found it behind the lens of a camera here in Dallas, Texas. I was born in New York, I've lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, Austin, but I love Dallas. There's a magical artistic scene in Dallas that mostly goes unnoticed to the outside world. This podcast is focused on what makes it so special and the people who make it thrive artistically. If you don't live here, and even if you do, you might not have heard of them. This is the Dallas Famous Podcast. So who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all grown up? Who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all for us? Yeah, who you gonna Deep Elm has been called the soul of Dallas, and there's a lot of reasons why. Today's guest is Brianna Lee. She's a photographer, and she's the president of the Deep Elm Association. Brianna takes us on a deep dive into all things happening for the Deep LM 150th celebration. We get to know Brianna as well as how she came to be involved in such an important role. We talk about the Deep Elm Community Center, the addition of Deep Elm Radio to the fold, as well as the inaugural Deep Elm Community Arts Fair coming up May 27th through 29th. If you love Deep Elm, you're going to love this. So sit back and enjoy my chat with Brianna Lee. And we are here today at the Deep Elm Community Center with Brianna. And I, Brianna Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start. <laughs> it's like the worst part of the podcast is like people I even know. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I've never said my friend's last name out loud. So. Yeah. It, the last name is easy. The first name is where people usually get yeah. tripped up. And you said it right. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, I have people I've known for 10 or 15 years that are still calling me Brioni or Brianni or Brianni or. I wonder if that's if people that hear it first have a better time with it than read it because when I read it it took me a minute to figure it out I don't know I know people who've been I have you know friends who were uh correcting them not subtly in conversation you know (laughs) (laughs) and they still uh yeah well it doesn't seem that odd but I guess it is a little bit unusual it's it's unusual is there like a reason for that name my mom's nuts um (laughs) so she took some name that she heard on a talk show and some book touch not the cat uh, is the title of the book and she took this she she saw the name in the book and she thought oh that must be that name i heard on that talk show and she made up a spelling (laughs) but i don't think that the name in the book nor the name on the talk show are what she came out with um <laughs> like the characters like a whole other person's name in this book i think it's probably pronounced differently I see. Uh, uh, and so she really made up a pronunciation it inadvertently natural though i don't know i guess it works and yeah. now there are a few other brianis yeah. for a long time i was the only one that i could find and when you go to um, disney world you can't get your license plate right there's no license plate no custom <laughs> brioni keychain oh. um but it worked out in that you know my email address is brioni at gmail.com my website is brioni.com you know right. very easy to find yeah, yeah. yeah. I, as long as you can spell my name <laughs> right exactly i have the opposite problem i used to get people wishing me happy birthday like all year long and they're like wait a minute aren't you the andrew sherman that went to ohio state or that was in florida and it's like it's a stupid common name so <laughs> anyway now that we've established who you are um and where we are we're at the deep ellum community center in deep ellum which is 
it's not it's not even open yet it's not even it's not even new because it's still in process it's in soft launch phase so we are open on the weekends we're open at 10 a.m to 4 p.m on fridays and 11 a.m to 7 p.m on saturday and sunday and we do have some workshops going in the space we're about to launch walking tours out of the space and we've had a few um holiday parties and that, that kind of stuff. We've got uh, Foundation 45 is in the space, and they are doing group sessions, uh, free group sessions, 2 p.m. every Sunday. Group sessions. Group therapy. Uh, for therapy, yes, mm-hmm. therapy group sessions. And then they're about to launch uh, Remix Recovery, which is a uh, an alternative to AA or NA. Um, oh, okay. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. here in person in a couple of weeks. I don't have the exact date, but yeah, so we are doing stuff in the space. The space is soft open. The grand opening is scheduled for September 23rd. Okay. We're building out a cohesive history exhibit. Um, We are building out a Deep Ellen Music listening room where you can come and sit and listen to music from the very first recording to present day music and the room that you and I are sitting in right now is being transformed into an authentic 1930s recording studio. Hmm. We have an authentic 1930s recording lathe and an authentic 1930s uh, room mic that have been refurbished and are working beautifully. And so you mean like an actual, it's not an exhibit, it's an actual, it it will be an actual recording studio. So it will, it will be um, primarily educational. Okay. These are, uh, the technology predates vinyl. These are black lacquer or shellac records that spin at 78 RPM. And they are cut with a lathe. They are not pressed like vinyl. Okay, wow. Um, So when when it is fully launched, come September 23rd, this will be the only authentic 1930s 78 RPM recording studio open to the public in the entire world. Wow. And then you have a place to play them here too once you do the recordings? So the way that it's going to work, they're, they're masters. They are not, um, it's not like a vinyl that uh, you can keep playing over and over. They degrade very quickly. The um. black lacquer is very brittle. So the idea is that they'll be recorded here in the, on site with a technician. And they'll be uh, simultaneously while they're being recorded on this antique equipment, they will be re- a digital recording will be rendered then they'll be played back and there will be a digital recording of what it sounds like being played back and then it will be framed okay oh wow okay i see i see and then we should probably say for those that don't know this is kind of part of the 100 year anniversary the 150th 150th 150th. so the the official unofficial founding of deep ellum is 1873 and that that number is um kind of like throwing darts at a wall, to be honest. <laughs> right. Uh, you can find references to the founding of Deep Ellum um, in 1870 and 1876. So some folks said, oh, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, <laughs> just <laughs> split the difference down the middle. Let's call it 1873. Right. And here we are today with a, a bunch of celebrations surrounding the 150. The sesquicentennial is. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm saying that right. I I'm practiced glad you so hard. said it because I was not going to try. <laughs> was, was Deep Ellum like almost immediately a music area or did that take a little while before that started to develop? It took a little while. So 1873, if you will, the founding of Deep Ellum um, was based around the train tracks, which are just a block. They were just a block from where we are here, the intersection at uh, Elm and Central Expressway. So where the highway is now is where the train used to run. Mm -hmm. And 
without the train tracks right here, not only would Deep Ellum not be on the map, Dallas wouldn't be on the map. Oh, wow. Um, so this neighborhood was built around the intersection of the train tracks without the commerce and the, the hustle and bustle that the trains brought through. The, act- the actual first Union Station in Dallas was right here in Deep Ellum, right at this. Um, that, that was Union Station. Huh. And um, so that's really where what founded the neighborhood. And in that, um, attracting workers and cotton. Cotton is a huge part of the Dallas story. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, my understanding is that um, as much as one-sixth of the world's cotton was uh, picked in North Texas. Oh, okay. So wow. in and surrounding Dallas. And the Continental Gin, which is in Deep Ellum and is now um, the commerce, or sorry, not commerce, the um, Continental Gin is now the co-working space common desk with Fiction Coffee downstairs. Mm-hmm. That was the cotton processing plant. Um, or the, the one of the most prominent co- co- cotton processing plants in Dallas. So right here in Deep Ellum. So really it's this combination of the train tracks and the cotton industry that put Dallas on the map, which is something that I know is really uncomfortable to talk about that people don't want to talk about now in mm-hmm. 2023. Um, but this is my understanding of why we're here today is train tracks and cotton. Wow. I don't think I've ever put, heard anyone put it that way, but that's pretty, pretty specific way to start the whole thing. It, it, it is. And so the workers who worked the cotton fields would be uh, here in Deep Ellum in these, uh, there were little shotgun houses at mm-hmm. one point. Um, so it was really resi- more residential. It's always been kind of a mixed use uh, residential commercial um, some of the old maps of Deep Ellum are really fascinating to see where the, you know, the horse stalls were and the cotton uh, was, and then the Pearlstone grain silo at the very edge of town. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got actually here in the community center right now, I, I can show you some um, ledgers I have from the Pearlstone from 100 years ago, 110 years ago. I th- I've got a range of, they actually survived a fire. You can see the fire damage, these ledgers, but... They show massive amounts of money moving through Pearlstone. Some of these ledgers are, you know, half a million dollars. And this is 110 years ago. Wow. That, that was a cotton processing plant also? It was grain. Grain, okay. I know it's still there. I think there, there's like there's some controversy where the city kind of wants to get rid of it and the owners just don't want to get rid of it. Have you heard about this? I have heard a lot of controversy about a lot of things and i have not heard about the city wanting to tear down pearlstone this is news to me okay a future episode perhaps i have um, i know the owner of that so if that's a conversation you want to have i bet i can get her uh, here in a studio with you okay all right we'll put that on the docket um yeah i had a friend that wants to do a documentary so maybe i'll bring him along yeah so the the previous president of the deep Ellum community association jim rogers uh went through a whole process to purchase Pearlstone from the previous owner. Um, so I have some insight. I actually have spent um, not just a night or two in Pearlstone, but a few weeks to stacked up together all the times I stayed there. Huh. Um, I would love to go check that place out. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the thing that can happen. You know, we, we didn't, we skipped like past. I mean, I realized that this is, this is sort of a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But let's get to know you a little bit. 
because who the heck are you? You're just sitting here. <laughs> you just suddenly. I mean, I know. Well, I'll share that you're a photographer, but like, how did you? You're from Dallas originally? Yes, I was born in Dallas um, in 1983 and um, grew up mostly in DFW. Um, so I think if my timeline is correct, my. Um, my father served on the Dallas PD. Okay. So he was on Dallas PD for about five years and then, um, left the PD and joined the Navy right before I was born. So I was born in Dallas at St. Paul, uh, backwards, um, came into the world breach. (laughs) 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 I've been doing backwards, uh, ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, so then I moved around the country with my father in the Navy and landed back in DFW by the time I was five and um, grew up really in the in the mid-cities. Actually, I'm multi-generational. My mother was born in Dallas. Mm. Um, my father was not. He was born elsewhere. But um, I also think that my grandmother was born in Dallas. So oh. we've been in certainly owned property um, in, in Dallas. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, there's you know I know that that there are a lot of transplants to Dallas now, and um, I've I've left a little bit and come back, but mostly I've lived in Dallas County for I, most. I feel of my like life. it says a lot about Dallas because I know a lot of people that have either never left or have left and come back, and just I've lived in a lot of places, and it seems more prevalent here for some reason. There's something special about Dallas, you know that. Um, She's not the prettiest girl in the room, but she's the only one I want to dance with, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, I love it here. I do. Um, so, okay, so you're back in Dallas. I mean, then you grew up in mid-cities. Yeah, I grew up in mid-cities. And I, so I discovered Deep Ellum when I was 14. Um, and it felt like home, you know? Not the place where you live, but the place where you belong. Mm-hmm. So I've been coming down to Deep Ellum, stomping around these grounds when the only places I could get into were the door for the underground Christian uh, music scene of the 90s and Sons of Hermit Hall on Wednesday nights for swing dance lessons. I've been going to swing dance lessons since uh, they was $2 a pop to get into swing dance yeah. lessons. And then the other place I got into was Insomnia, which was a coffee shop mm-hmm. um, with reverse hours. They opened at like, you know. 6 p.m. and we're open until 3 a.m. kind of deal and it's in the space of Twilight Zone now okay and um, they had open mic poetry nights there and it was a it was an important part of the community mm. and it's always a, a shame when places like that go I mean there's so many places that I've heard about that I need to like dig into the history that are just gone you know and it happens every day here it seems like there's like turnover yeah know? Yeah. Well, that's the story. We try to make this a deep Ellum story about the turnover of businesses, but it is just the story of business. It's true. I mean, maybe just because there's like such a, like a, you know, throng of business here in general that you notice it more maybe that it's happening. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's actually why I wanted to move here personally. Was it just this neighborhood? And like, I lived in Los Angeles and like all the music was just spread out and I just felt like you could spend lots of nights here especially by the time i got here like eight years ago there's like a lot of clubs open and yeah yeah it's been a really interesting transition for deep ellum honestly always you know my window into the transitions of deep ellum is only the past about 30 years (laughs) not even 25 years right Right. that's a while um but the the story (laughs) of the transition of deep ellum starts in 1873 right 
Right. And everybody that I talk to says the same thing. Like, oh, it's, it's so different than it was, you know. Even five years ago, it's so different than yeah. it was. And, yeah. and five years ago, it's so different than it was 10 years ago. It's really remarkable. Um, I, I did this huge event. It was uh, Urban Legends in 2013 um, on Main Street. And it was in the space that is now the uh, empty uh, brain dead Mm-hmm. The Patagonia across the street, the space that's now um, Bedora, mm-hmm. and the space that's uh, like right n- next to Brain Dead, those couple of little businesses right there. So we took over five empty buildings. The entire block was empty except for, I don't know, a business or two. Right. It was all empty, 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 empty buildings. We had this huge event where we had, you know, I don't know, 1,500 people out bouncing around between these five establishments. And it was a huge success in that we saw Main Street alive with pedestrian activity for the first time in, you know, about 15 years. And now you wouldn't even, I mean, it's just wild to think that that was, that was just 10 years ago. Right. And it was totally, the block was totally empty. Yeah, now it's just stacked with businesses and people yeah. yeah i mean it's cool to see but yeah i think taboo and tiggers were like the only thing on that block that were open it was huh. just that's wild that's wild um and uh, at some point did you end up moving down here i mean i have never actually lived in deep ellum i um the closest i've lived is about 10 miles out mm-hmm. um but and you definitely feel this connection though because i mean well first of all the reason I think you're Dallas famous is because I knew who you were way before I met you just because of your postings in the Deep Ellum community page, you know, and it's sort of like you took ownership of that. And I mean, it, it's a lot of people like just own this place and because it, it, it means something to them. And I just think it's cool. But I'm just curious how that ended up happening for you. I, it was really that, you know, coming down here. I think my very first memory of Deep Ellum is... I was 13, and my older sister and her um, boyfriend at the time brought me down to Deep Ellum for an open studio. And it was my first time being in artists' studios and seeing how they create their work. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really magical for me. Then fast forward, I don't even know if the next thing that I was at was a, a Christian concert at uh, the door or whether it was swing dancing at Sons of Herman, um, but it was it was really that time, that year, 1997, when I was 14, that I was down here at least once or twice a month for swing dance or for a show or for, I, I came down here and I, I used to read my poetry at open mics at um, Insomnia, and that feeling of having a place to belong, of finding your people mm-hmm. is what it is and and that's why i'm still a part of deep ellum is the legacy of the people who have come before me some that i know that i i are no longer with us that i miss and um feel that connection to but then some that were here way 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 before i am and have just left an indelible mark on this neighborhood that have made it the creative cultural hub that it is and as much as I try, I even tried to get out. <laughs> it just, it sucks you back in. Yeah, yeah. So then how did you go from just, I love this place to getting this involved in this community center? And So it went like this. Um, about, let me see, 2010, 2009, 2010, I actually 
moved away for a little while. I lived in Houston and Austin, and I came back to uh, Dallas um, at the end of 2009. And that's when I got kind of reinvolved. Deep Ellum had gone through a strange transition, and there was a lot of cool art stuff happening in Dallas at the time. So I did a lot of projects with Art Love Magic and with Art Conspiracy and... um, Somewhere in this transition, I had a boyfriend who lived in Adam Hats, um, started coming down here for shows again. The Curtain Club is um, will always have a special place in my heart. And it just, it just sort of happened organically. I started volunteering for a few projects for the Deep Elm Community Association. Probably the first one was the 2011 Deep Elm Arts Festival, working with the Community Association on the Deep Elm Artist Village in the Arts Festival. And then once you start volunteering for stuff, you know, it snowballs. They call you again. You do something else. But at the time, still, I was volunteering primarily for arts uh projects, arts shows, mm. and the my involvement with the Community Association really solidified in 2014. Um, the boyfriend I had living in Adam Hatz um, died by suicide, mm. and um, the Deep Elm Community Association, the Deep Elm family in general, and the Community Association in particular, uh, wrapped their arms around me and carried me through a really dark time in my life. Yeah, wow. Wow. When, when you were when you were kind of going back to Houston and Austin and back, like what was your photography doing at that point? So I began my photography career at 19 officially photographing weddings. And I was in I was still in DFW at that time. I was in, I was in Fort Worth. And um, when I moved down to Houston, was right at the same time of the crash of the the real estate bubble burst. Mm. And I don't know what, if you remember that far back, the wedding industry was just a totally fell apart. People literally stopped getting married. They were pushing their wedding off 18 months, two years. And so my wedding bookings pretty much dried up overnight. Um, I had... Very few weddings on the books. I was at that place where you have to pivot, or um, so I, I did. I did some soul searching, and it was good. Um, that's how I got really involved in all the art stuff. Is I realized that um, photographing weddings was a lot of work. It was a lot of stress. I really had a good time with it for the mm. most part, but it was also a metric fuck ton of work. Yeah and stress um stress factor and i had little kids at the time my oldest was seven and i had a a, you know one like 11 months old you know when all of this kind of moved to houston the wedding industry collapsed all at the same time and so i was fortunate to be in a position where i could take a little time i mean i was still doing some work i was still making some money but to to rethink what i wanted to do and that's where i ended up um, believing I wanted to move to Austin, so I did that for just a year. And th- the main reason I moved back to Dallas was the community. Um, my family was here and my friends. Mm-hmm. Austin's great, but I was starting over with no community. Um, so I came back to Dallas for for community, for family, for friends, for Deep Ellum. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so 
in that time period to answer the question, I pivoted from weddings to doing uh, more like corporate headshots and um, I guess what they call personal branding now, mm-hmm. um, right. where, I, you know, doing work for bands and for creative entrepreneurs, um, you know, r- writers and um, a few comedians. I found out they have very shallow pockets. <laughs> yeah. They're also <laughs> usually not that happy of a people I've noticed. But uh, yeah. Well, that <laughs> other story altogether. That's a whole other story. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's, that's what I, that's what I did, started doing. And then I also really um, poured a lot of my energy into creating artwork, photography derived artwork and um, curating art shows and producing arts events. Mm. And so my photography transitioned to not only a totally different uh, field that I had been previously working in, although a lot of overlap is still shooting people. I'm a portrait photographer Mm -hmm. primarily. Um, And I I was able to start shooting a lot more live music in that time, which is my favorite thing to photograph, of course. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, at some point over the course of the past, you know, seven or eight years, the event production and uh, art curation and, really took over so that while I still do some photography, um, it's actually really kind of an interesting how this happened. Looking back on this, I've, I've had this, this realization that somewhere when I took on a position with the arts festival booking music, which I'd never done before, mm-hmm. they called me and invited me to come start booking stages for the Deep Ellum Arts Festival. Um, as someone who photographed a lot of Deep Ellum bands and was really involved in the Deep Ellum music scene, I thought, well, I mean, I've been doing all these art shows. I've been wrangling hundreds of artists. Musicians can't be that much worse than artists, right? You know, so so, <laughs> so I got it. And it's true. They're actually, musicians are actually a dream to work with compared with visual artists because the one thing they're used to doing is showing up on time. Oh, right. They have to be, yeah. Yep. Visual artists are usually just in their little nope. studio by they themselves. They bring me their art pieces wet, still dripping oil paint to hang on the wall, you know, like oh, no. 15 minutes after the show has started kind of situation oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so having musicians that you know show up on time when they're supposed to be there it's like this is a, this is a dream okay but i took on that position thinking that it would um leverage that i'd be able to leverage it to do more uh, work photographing music which mm-hmm. is what i wanted to do the most and it really um i found myself with an an unexpected identity shift where People I'd known for years stopped identifying me as a photographer and started identifying me as a music booker. Oh, weird. It was really weird. Even people I knew really well for years. Huh. It just shifted. That Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's funny because people have got tried to get me to book bands and I haven't done it, but I didn't think of that even being a problem. I just was like, well, I don't want to know how much they make, so I don't want to book them, you know. I don't want to get into their money situation at all. You know, <laughs> that's kind of where I was at with it anyway. But that's interesting. And so, I mean, you weren't like booking bands anywhere else, though. No, no. It was just this one event. It was a huge event. It was event. a big event. It's a I huge mean, event. I think actually I, I did meet you a few times at that event when I first started shooting bands. It was, you know, Electric Ants and some other ones at the festival. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Interesting. So it was really interesting. At the, at, I thought that I'd be able to leverage it into more 
photography work and it actually ended up shifting my identity so much that um, I basically only take on I mean, I, I hardly ever take on new clients now. Mm-hmm. My photography clients are clients that I've had for 10 or 15 years. Um, every once in a while, I take on a new client. And um, just, I don't know. I had moments where I pushed back on that and um, even quit the arts festival at one point. And then I was like, you know what? I, I just don't even know that. I'm I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled with event production and with art curation. And um, I have more time to think about my own artwork as a photographer in some ways uh, when I'm not doing as much commercial work, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword and one that I still have not completely come to terms with. And photography is really complicated. Yeah. When I first started my photography career, my first weddings, I shot on film. Mm. And I developed film in the darkroom. And that is pressure to me. I can't <laughs> imagine that. I've never done that. Oh, I don't know. Um, I can tell you that I've lost more images through volatile digital technology than I did through film. Really? I did for sure. Um, I had a really horrific wedding. Um, I mean, the wedding was fine, but I had one singular um, micro SD card that was dropped uh-huh. and the technology was so volatile that the entire card, the entire contents were scrambled. If I didn't have a second shooter at that event, I would not have had any images of the ceremony. Oh my God, that's crazy. And that never happened with film. Um, maybe yeah. partially because you're changing out so many rolls. You only got max of 36 shots on a 35 millimeter roll of film. Right. You, you're one, you're really careful about what you photograph because each, click is precious Mm -hmm. and uh two if you do lose a whole role you're less likely to to lose like an entire section of an event than you are now where right i mean i can fit an entire wedding on one card now um so if that one card goes bad fortunately my camera has backup dual it'll record the two slots but um yeah that's that's been it's scary it's really scary it's really scary it's not like shooting headshots or something where it's you know if something goes terribly awry you can schedule a reshoot the the pressure of weddings is it is a once in a lifetime event and if you miss the shot you miss the shot yeah exactly i mean that's again i don't do a lot of them i i have two coming up i'll say that but um i i have a photo insurance and supposedly there's like it goes up to like i don't know what the amount is like but i can recreate like the wedding scene if my card were to die but i'm like sure i could do that but like is everybody kind of come together it's still not the actual wedding i mean you know yeah we can create magic but it's still not the moment so yeah you don't want to you want everything to be working mm-hmm. yeah i did have that um one one wedding where I had to do some kind of a recreate something after the fact. And yeah, it's just not the same. Yeah. I mean, everybody's probably like, we're first of all, we're sober. <laughs> all the guests, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of intense pressure shooting weddings. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's less pressure shooting shows. Cause even though there's like moments where I feel like, Oh, I missed that moment. Like nobody else knows I missed it. Like you're still getting cool moments the whole way through, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. But, um, so the, uh, that's a pretty, it was a pretty, um, what's the word? Polarizing event, the, the Deep Ellum Arts Festival. 
Yeah, I would say that. Um, but now it's gone. It's over. And it so what's coming up? There's something new happening now. There is something new happening. So we are, it's happening very soon. And I still am having these moments of panic of, is everything going right? Are we going to be able to pull this off? Uh, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, but the Deep Ellum Community Arts Fair, Memorial Day weekend, May 27th, 28th, and 29th. Mm. And it's going to be um, build on the legacy of the Arts Festival and the Art Walk before it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to be something else, you know, a totally different, totally new thing. It is 100% volunteer right now. It is um, by the community, for the community. Right. That, the- was, that was a big thing that people had a problem with was the other one was an owner from an outside area and blah, blah, blah. So now that's not a deal right now. It's all local. It's all local. And um, even even calling it ownership is a little bit complicated. So it is a project of the Deep Elm Community Association in the same way that the outdoor market or the urban garden is a project of the Deep Elm Community Association. Um, and I also, I, I like to push back on this narrative of the old festival owner being some out-of-state carpetbacker because... Um, Please I, do. That's just the story that's yeah, going around. Yeah, that's the story that goes around, and I, I feel like it's inaccurate. So Stephen Millard... He's, he was living in South Lake when he started the Deep Elm Arts Festival. Uh, at the time, he had um, he had he founded the Main Street Arts Festival in Fort Worth. He had just left that over some creative disagreements, and um, the Deep Elm Association at the time, which was a brand new organization, and has since become the Deep Elm Community Association. Uh, reached out to Stephen and asked him if he would come do. A festival like Main Street Arts Festival in Deep Ellum. The difference is that Main Street Arts Festival and all of the other festivals that he did, he founded the Bedford Blues Festival and the Dallas Jazz Festival, which is um, now defunct, um, and many other festivals. He was running festivals all over the country. So, but he was DFW based. Mm-hmm. He was living here. He was raising his children here. His wife was from here, and um, so. These Deep Elm Association people begged him to come do it, but they didn't have any money to pay him to do it. So this was the only event out of the dozens of events that his co- company was managing that he was uh, fronting out of pocket. Ah, okay. And at the time, um, Deep Elm was in a transitional phase in the mid-90s. It was probably the Deep Elm Arts Festival is, is partially responsible for some of the revitalization of Deep Ellum because it was such a big event for this struggling neighborhood at the time. And he was living here. He moved away about, I don't know, 15 years into the event. Mm-hmm. So he did move to California, but he was never from California. He's not some carpetbagger from Santa Barbara. It's many years, this event lost money. And he was the one who was either making a little bit of money off the event um, losing a little bit of money on the event, he jeopardizing got, his mortgage for this event. He got so much crazy. He's so villainized. I know. I, I mean, I didn't know his name. I mean, I'm like, but I'm glad we're setting the record straight, I guess, because there was, I mean, it makes sense though. Like it started when there wasn't all these businesses and there was not all these people here doing other things. And, and it, yeah, I could see how you could say that it helped grow the area it did. so at the time the, when the first event my uh, now of course i was young 
the first event was in 94, which is, I mean, I was 11. So mm-hmm. I didn't come to, I don't know the first one I came to, late 90s. Um, and it was from Good Latimer to Malcolm X uh, in that kind of footprint. And there were no businesses there. Mm-hmm. Like that event I talked about in 2013. And right. um, there were no businesses. And as the ev- event, it was really after that 2013 Urban Legends event we had where we, we had tons of businesses. And now there had been some back and forth because in the 90s and the late 90s, there were businesses on Main Street, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was a, a big... Um, f- I don't know what you would call it, a turnover in Deep LM where things went south. Hmm. Um, and it was a lot of empty buildings, shuttered windows and doors for for years. And then somewhere around, um, I guess 2000, I can remember, um, 2015 is the last year that the Deep LM Arts Festival was from Good Latimer to Malcolm X. And then it moved down the street and um and then the last few years was all the way down at the other end of the the event and that's because there were there were businesses who had storefronts that interfered with how many artist tents could go up um without blocking storefronts Mm -hmm. but when this event was founded there weren't storefronts to block right yeah, you know, yeah. perspective is everything. Yeah, perspective is everything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here. If you didn't know, you guys are all meanies for coming down on that guy. He was trying to do a good thing. He did a good thing, actually. Yeah, he did a good thing. I really think he did a good thing. He's he's well-meaning. He's um, He can be a pain in the butt to work with sometimes. Hmm. Maybe we should cut that out. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I think he knows he is. <laughs> we all are. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But no, I have a lot of respect for Steven and for what he did for the neighborhood. So, okay, so that's all volunteer, the new, the new arts festival. The new arts festival. Uh, or, or, well, in general, if somebody wants to, like, volunteer for the festival or just in general, like, what do they have to do? Just in general, the best way to volunteer for um, the community center or the urban garden or the outdoor market or the community arts fair. Um, we do other projects, too. We did um, testing, COVID testing through the pandemic and um, so those pop-up COVID, COVID testing stations around the neighborhood, that was mm-hmm. the community association oh, sponsoring cool. that. Very nice. um, anyway, so the best way to volunteer is to drop an email to DECA, D-E-C-A, at deepelumtexas.com. Okay. And I'll get you plugged in. Great. So this program originally will air on Deep Elm Radio, and so is that now part of the Deep Elm? Yes, Deep Elm Radio is now uh, an officially a project of the Deep Elm Community Association. Okay, and so how does that work exactly? Like, So Deep Elm Radio uh, was originally an LLC, and then it was a sole proprietorship, and Kim Owens was the, the sole owner. Yet, all of those years, Deep Elm Radio was always run as if it were a nonprofit community organization. It was run on volunteer DJs, on volunteer time. Deep Elm Radio has always been a, a community-run project, and now it's officially a community-run project. It's instead of being uh, a sole proprietorship run as a nonprofit, it is a project of a nonprofit that can give it the uh, um, attention that it, it needs to thrive. And it's a symbiotic relationship. We had already made an arrangement with Kim and Deep Ellum Radio to um, have a space here, a studio space here inside the uh, Deep Ellum Community Center. Mm-hmm. So we were already offsetting the rent um, or offsetting isn't even the right word, providing space free of charge. 
now that it's all in-house, it simplifies um, fundraising for building out the studio space. And um, it also opens up the volunteer pool. It's, it's a little bit more glamorous to volunteer for a nonprofit than it is to volunteer for a sole proprietorship. So we're, we're definitely still getting our feet under us, have a lot of um, working through transition with Deep Ellum Radio. Right. When I first moved here, I think the first thing I noticed was the Ghost of Blind Lemon, which is... It's back on the air, I believe now. And uh, I just think in general, it's cool to one, have something because there is such history in Deep Ellum. It's cool to have programs that reflect that. But then also it's cool to have like all these local bands being played somewhere. You know, it's uh, it, it's cool. You know, It really is. I've been listening to the station. I love Chris, the ghost of Bowling Lemon. He yeah. is, he's one of those people that's just I have never met anyone who has a bad thing to say about Chris. He's mm. a sweetheart. He's um, he's humble. He's too humble probably he's a special ed um teacher oh wow he's so that that speaks to the kind of character yeah. uh, who he is and he um he's always had a heart for local music and for highlighting local music so he's back on as the interim program director and the station has been sounding really good i've been tuning mm-hmm. in in the afternoons just when it's uh, music uh, in between shows, not that I don't listen to the shows, but I've also been, you know, tuning in just to listen to the music. And you know, Dallas music is hot right now. The local music oh, scene is man. so good. It's the best kept secret in the whole country. I feel like. I mean, it's uh, it's like my whole life mission right now is like, why doesn't everybody know about all this amazing music here? But we're working on it. Like we're putting it out there. We're talking about it, and you know, so. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's frustrating that well. And it's funny, it's frustrating, but it's not in the way that Deep Ellum was sort of like this wide open space and now it's like a little bit more refined. But, um, you know, it's just Dallas is sort of still a little bit of an open space compared to L.A., New York and Chicago, um, I feel like, you know, as far as it's accessible to get to these places, um, you know, to see shows. Um, I still think there, it's a little bit cheaper to live here. It could be wrong, but it seems like it. It's know. still a little bit cheaper to live here yeah. than LA or New York or Chicago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like the, I, I feel like it's the best little big town, big little town, however you want to say it in the country. That's my view of it. Yeah. So. Well, what I say is Dallas is the biggest small town I that's know. it that's it okay that's <laughs> what i was looking for i mean and it's cool too that because deep ellum really to me is the heart of a lot of the culture in the city and so it's, we agree so yeah. uh, the deep ellum community association mission statement um i'm not going to try to quote the whole thing blah 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 but it ends with you know deep ellum the soul of dallas yeah it's true though and it's really cool that you're building a place here that people can come just like instead of just going to dealey plaza you know, like something in Dallas, like a history of Dallas that's really important to like, you know, learn about and to, you know, be able to be experienced in some way. There's so much history right here in Deep Ellum. The building that we've chosen for the community center is uh, really a special building in and of itself. It, this, these bricks right here are 131 years old. This building was built in 1892. Mm. Uh, the structure predates some of the other, you know, really old buildings that people point to around Deep Ellum, like the Knights of Pythias, like Sons of Herman, like, um, you know, Continental Gin and Adam Hats and Pearl Stone. It's older than... It's older. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the This building 
again, built in 1892, is on record with the city of Dallas as the City Hotel and Mechanics Hall Saloon. It is a two-story building, so the mezzanine here was added much later. I actually need to look up. I'm not sure what year the mezzanine was added. But when you walk in, that elevator shaft is the original elevator shaft. Most of those window panes uh, up front are original, 131 years old. This is a historically designated building in the historically designated portion of Deep Ellum. This is actually old Deep Ellum, as I explained. The train tracks right here. This is original Deep Ellum. People think of, you know... uh, further west toward fair park you know before you get to expo park being the heart of deep ellum mm-hmm. but this is old true original deep ellum and um, on record with the city of dallas as a city hotel and mechanics hall saloon we have no reason to believe that this building ever functioned as a true hotel hmm. um <laughs> oh, oh okay yeah 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 <laughs> oh okay slowly uh, yeah, getting I can, that i can spell that out um for the <laughs> listeners This building, we believe that it operated um, as a brothel would have operated at the time Uh. with the saloon downstairs and the rooms upstairs. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, it's part of history. So here we are. Definitely this part. So there would have been early blues musicians playing in this space, though, 130 years ago. Wow. So. Do we know who by chance or we're just going No, to we don't know. The, the the blue scene didn't really get on the map in a prominent way that people can point to specific figures um, until that early 20s era where you've got Blind Lemon and Lead Belly. And, mm-hmm. um, so it was already kind of established to people of the day as kind of a spot, I guess. It just wasn't like... I'm not sure if it was defined as a spot or if it's just a natural... Just because people were here anyway. Right, people were here. And where people are, um, there you will find music and sex and drugs and yeah dominoes and people being people you know rock and roll or what was going to become rock and roll right right. (laughs) Right. Uh, yeah really deep ellum is some people consider deep ellum as the birthplace of the blues yeah yeah i mean i know there's at least three cities i would argue but i mean you can't you know i'm not saying who's right i don't know who's right i don't know who's right either but definitely deep ellum has got not just the kind of soul that permeates the city of Dallas, but the kind of soul that has international recognition. Yeah. Oh yeah. I knew about Deep Ellum before I moved here because of the song, um, which is, you know, I guess all deadheads know that song, but, uh, (laughs) and I've now heard the about 500 bands play that song, but I still like it. It's still really cool to hear it when you're in Deep Ellum, you know? So, um, anyway, is there any other history that we like should point out before we take off? Um, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so much we could just dive all day. We could talk all day about this and I would be wrong about some of it too. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure people would be more than happy to point it out to me because they love finding mistakes. Yes. Yes. I would love for people to point out where I'm wrong. I love the controversy (laughs) around, you know, who played where and, um, what building is more important than where, you know, what year the, uh, right. Deep Ellum was founded and the spelling of Deep Ellum is controversial and, Huh. Um, I don't know if you know. I didn't hear that about that. So the the Deep Elm gets its name from Elm Street, right? From being Deep Elm Street, and it was just you know pronounced kind of Deep Elm, and you can find different uh, publications spelling it different ways. So the original spellings were Deep Elm. ELM for Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And then um, they tried to 
infuse the phonetics into the spelling. And so you, we had different spellings, E-L-A-M, E-L-L-U-M, E-L-U-M, you know, hmm. E-L-E-M. Oh, okay. Um, and some guys in the 80s, when they were revitalizing the music scene in Deep Ellum, picked a, a spelling to unify hmm. the neighborhood. And so there's still a little bit of controversy just in the same way of you know what year did it really found and hmm. um I, I guess i haven't heard i guess they're, they're winning because i haven't heard anyone that's like you maybe because maybe so the controversy has kind of faded out by this point and everyone just accepts that this is the way that it is right. just like everyone accepts that deep Ellum was founded in 1873 right i mean i guess just you gotta at some point just settle on some facts i guess yes yeah, yeah. that's where we are I just mean. settle on some facts and <laughs> some of these facts are still highly disputed um right. you know it's not disputed that deep Ellum was uh, an immigrant town um, it is disputed as to whether it was a freedman's town oh um, i didn't realize that yeah there's definitely part of the narrative that this was the first freedman town and in Dallas, or one of the first Freedmen town in Dallas, and then there's some pushback that no, this wasn't ever actually a, a Freedmen town, and it attracted Freedmen, but it was not established as a Freedmen t- town in that way. Hmm. Um, but obviously, there's parts of the the neighborhood that really latch on to the narrative, and I, I frankly don't know at this point. I had it in my head for a long time that Deep Ellum was established as a Freedmen's town, and now. Um, I've had enough evidence presented to me that I have serious doubts about the origins of the neighborhood. Yeah, I assume that it was too. That's interesting. I guess just because of the music myth that maybe we just assume that or something or I don't know. Right, right, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Man, I I guess this just proves the need for people to come down to the center and check out the stuff for themselves. We do have some real historical artifacts in the space right now that are on display for just a few more weeks because we're about to take down this kind of, we have a hodgepodge exhibit of Deep Ellum art and artwork and uh, artifacts and memorabilia. Um, But it's going to come down and we're going to start actual construction on building out this recording studio and the listening room and this cohesive history exhibit to unify the story. And it won't be a static history exhibit. It will be a series. So the first, um, we will have a a bit of a permanent exhibit to tell that that foundational story of Deep Ellum. But um, we'll have rotating exhibits that change out probably on a 12 to 18 month basis so Mm. that it's dynamic and interesting and keeps right. people coming back yeah reason to come back that sounds great well that all sounds exciting the the art fair is something to look forward to i know there's more stuff coming up so maybe we'll have you back or someone from the foundation back and you know when you when you open up we'll we'll maybe come down and do something special yes yes uh, the first thing our uh, the deep on radio studio is going to launch before the grand opening okay so we'll be doing that sometime this summer and well yeah I'm, i might have to take advantage of the studios when it's built you yeah know, sort of taking my little 1990s sure mic everywhere i go with me. yeah <laughs> yeah i'll show you the room when we get done here okay great well hey thanks again for talking with us today briani and uh, we look forward to all the great stuff coming out of deep Elm uh, community center all right thank you andrew i really appreciate you having me on today I'd like to thank Brianni Lee for being a guest and having me as a guest at the Deep Elm Community Center. You can volunteer by following the links in the show notes. Theme song, Unstoppable by Salim Nirala. You can hear the Dallas Famous podcast every week, Sunday, 1 p.m. on Deep Elm Radio, then again on Tuesday at 1 p.m. And then a couple weeks later, we put them on all the podcast platforms. So check it out. Glad you're here. We'll see you next time.